and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad in Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us this blessed, blessed Shabbat. We are back in the Revelation, the Hebraic book of Revelation series today, and we're going to be jumping in to chapter 4. I want to thank all of you that do subscribe to our channel. If you're new to our channel, please Click the subscription. And those of you in the chat, make sure that you give us some thumbs up. It really does make a difference. And to all of you that do support this ministry, thank you. And if you're new to the channel again, please consider giving to the ministry. It really does make all the difference. We are living in these days where affliction is surrounding so many of the saints. And our hope is that you can join us on a pilgrimage and come and celebrate the feasts of Yahweh here with us at Torah to the Tribes. But until then, let's dig into the word of Yahweh, Revelation, the fourth chapter today, and we'll dive in the first verse. And after this, I looked and see... And a door was opened in the heavens, and the first voice which I heard, it was like a shofar, as if the shofar was a talking to me, which said, come up here, and I will show you things that must be after this. Now, of course, my history, coming from a Calvary Chapel background, this was the checkout moment. Because this is the rapture of the church. Martinis and bikinis, off they go. We're going to heaven in a cloud. And so therefore, from chapter 4 onwards, really doesn't apply to you. You're not going to be here. This is for those dastardly Jews that are going to be, of course, left behind and all the wicked heathen. So the story goes. Now, of course, we've all matured in the faith and realized that that is not true. There is no miraculous escape out of here. In fact, today, as I go through the fourth chapter, I want to speak specifically not about disappearance, though I will have to, of course, touch on the fabrication of the pre-tribulation rapture. How can you avoid it? You have to, especially in chapter 4. But what I do want to touch on is something that really does apply to all of us today, and that's facing our adversity. Facing adversity in our lives, because it is something that we are assured. It's called a tribulation. But in reality, how does it work out in our life? Is it always massively apocalyptic? Or is it just a daily trial? Is it an adversity a trouble that comes upon you that you have a choice to embrace or to run from. So today, Revelation chapter 4, specifically, we're going to be looking at adversity. Yahuwah wants us, listen, to confront our adversity, to confront it. Number two, he wants us to embrace adversity. And then finally, number three, He wants you to extend.
exchange adversity for a praiseworthy, emeritus victory. I look at my life, like I shared before we went live on air today, whether it's my marriage, whether it's my beautiful children, whether it's the different arenas that this ministry has grown through, the very business that I own, everything in my life that is of anything has come through confronting the adversity, embracing the adversity, and exchanging the adversity for a praiseworthy and meritorious victory. I want all of you out there that are tuning in not to be afraid, not to run from that which stalks you, because we are going into a very noteworthy time of history of which this book deals with. And for us now is a time to confront, to embrace, and exchange because Yahweh wants you to what? Have that praiseworthy, meritorious victory. Revelation chapter 4. Before I go into any more text, I want to assure you that Yahweh is with his people. I want to assure you that Yahweh is with us in our fears and in the adversity is where he is thick and dripping. You need to learn to embrace it. You need to welcome it, to treasure it and exchange it. I want to talk to you briefly about nine men specifically. Remember, we are, in we are in 19, we are in 2020, but it was a hundred years ago when in these very times they called it the Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties. And we all know what happened at the end of the Roaring Twenties, right? 1929, of course, the world changed. It was a stock market crisis and crash. But in this time, in 1920, 100 years ago to the date, everybody was drinking the Kool-Aid. Everything was grand. Everything was moving fast and furious. Success, wealth, glory, magnificence was abounding all over the world. Whether it was New York City, San Francisco, Berlin, or London, it was times of prosperity. It was the roaring 20s. And nine men, very, very successful men, they got together in 1923 for a supper to discuss the days and times in which they lived. I want to talk to you briefly about those nine men, and I will tie it in to Revelation, specifically the fourth chapter. Adversity, confronting it, embracing it, and exchanging it. These men were Number one, Charles Schwab. 
Charles Schwab. Who on earth was Charles Schwab? He was the owner of the largest steel company in the world. Number two, Samuel Insull. He was the president of the world's largest utility company. Number three, Howard Hobson. He was the president of the largest gas company. These were super powerful, wealthy entrepreneurs. They were at the top of their game. And then there came Ivor Kruger. Ivor Kruger, of course, was the president of the International Match Company. And that's when matches were really popular. I mean, this was a big corporation back then. And then we had Leon Frazier. He was, of course, the president of the Bank of International Settlements. What has this got to do with Revelation 4? Track with me, because this is not just going to be a Bible teaching. This is about applying the Bible to our lives, because we live in the roaring 20s. And we will learn from history, and the power of Yahweh's Spirit will equip us for the days in which we live. Another man that was around that supper table to discuss the amazing events and their successes and their power and their might was, of course, Richard Whitney. He was the president of the New York Stock Exchange. And then we had Arthur Cotton. And his sidekick, Jesse Livermore, they were at the table and they were ordering the biggest, fattest steaks right from the butcher to table. These were the two biggest stock speculators of the 20s. Powerful, wealthy, rich men at the top of their game. And finally, the last person that slid his table, his chair up to that supper table was Albert Fool. He was a member of President Harding's cabinet at that very time. Twenty-five years later, their lives ended as follows. Charles Schwab died penniless. Samuel Insull died broke in a foreign land, far away from anybody. Samuel Insull died broke in a foreign land. Howard Hobson, he went bananas. Insane. He went insane. Ivor Kruger, the president of the International Match Company, he died broke. Leon Frazier, he committed suicide. Richard Whitney, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, well, of course, we know where he went, to prison. Arthur Cotton, he died broke. Jesse Livermore, he committed suicide. And Albert Fall, member of President Harding's cabinet, of course, he ended up in prison. 
What's the point? The point is we live, brethren, in times of far greater and faster change than these men did. We live in times of far faster and greater change than these men did. And none of us are positioned as far as the world standard as well as these men were positioned financially or powerfully. So what is the revelatory mystery that we can see from this account? We need to confront, exchange, and embrace adversity and trials. Because these men, they had one thing in common. They believed that money had solved their problems. They believed that money had solved... They had made it. These were the most powerful, wealthy, affluent men. These were smart, intelligent men. They had their money taken care of. But they hadn't taken care of their nature when it comes to money. They hadn't changed their soul... And they hadn't applied faith in their life. And therefore, when swift change and destruction came, they were ill-equipped even though they were more equipped than all of us. But they were not as well equipped as the saints of Yahuwah today if, You understand why adversity is present in your life. Why adversity is present in my life. This is a message of confrontation. Because this is a message to equip us in these last days. Money doesn't solve your problems. Money didn't solve their problems In fact, their money just expediated their end. It actually expediated them to their final calamity because they never changed their inward man in relationship to money. didn't matter that they had masses of it. They were still afraid. In fact, they were more afraid than most of you because they had accumulated such a lot that they were afraid of losing it. And then when life changed, they hadn't made the inward change to deal with the outward reality. We live in the roaring 20s. We live in the roaring 20s and we live in a time of far faster, greater change than these men ever did. It changes so quickly, and we are living in a year of change. And this message is to equip the saints. Supernatural faith in action 
is what will solve your problems. Supernatural faith in action is what will, will solve your problems. Confronting and embracing the opportunities. It sounds crazy, but it's time for us to confront and embrace the opportunities that adversity presents. Where there is adversity, there is an opportunity. If you embrace it, take that energy, which is often camouflaged as fear, and exchange it in Yahweh's currency of the kingdom for faith and power and a supernatural mind. It's time to trade up. It is time to trade up out of the world into Yahweh's kingdom reality. And that only happens when we confront, embrace, and exchange adversity for a meritorious, praiseworthy victory. Revelation chapter 4. It is not time to run away and escape. So let's address the falsehood of the pre tribulation rapture the falsehood of the pre-tribulation rapture in fact revelation chapter 4 is really about the entire 70th week of israel john is seeing this entire 70th week of israel through the spirit this single person's vision it just cannot be twisted into a corporate escape of the church, but it has been for a whole generation of believers. And it is going to leave them just like these nine men, just like these nine men, because there is no escape to heaven. That doctrine had no history within the church up until the last 200 years. It's a, it's a very new doctrine that has infiltrated the church within the past 200 years. The idea of the rapture never even appears on the church radar until the late 18th and early 19th century. And of course, we can blame a bloody British man for that. Of course, it's always the English that poke the fires and stir up the hornet's nest, but this particular Englishman was a blasphemer. John Nelson Darby, of course. Now, I think it must have been mad cow disease. I, I mean, I'm convinced. I mean, I think he got into the wrong kind of beef, or there was just some spoiled yeast in his ale, because I suspect that's what caused this Englishman's delusion. And, you know, then this spread to a gal called Margaret MacDonald. And I think maybe something got into her blooming haggis because her delusional visions, of course, came three years later 
but she had heard them from John Nelson Darby, and the mixture, the potent potion, began to spread around the United Kingdom. And then, of course, leave it to the lawyers, leave it to the lawyers, of course, it wasn't until the lawyer, C.I. Schofield, set sail to the Americas that the madness came across the seas and it cemented itself into modernism and was taken up in the 20th century by, of course, evangelical Christianity. Church rapture theory is here in America and it is going to leave the faithful like these nine men that I just spoke of unless you learn to embrace that which vexes you. So if it's not the rapture that we're talking about in, here in chapter 4, then what is it that must soon take place? Because the Bible records that something must soon take place. Then what is it? It is the coming, listen, the coming of Yahuwah's kingdom, where the destruction of the powers of evil, of Satan and of death are going to be overcome. We're living in that time. That's why we're seeing such evil, such wickedness, such affliction upon the saints right now. Because within all of this evil, it's designed to confuse and delude the masses. It's to throw off their navigation. As more evil ensues, it's like a thick fog and mist coming over the moors. But the faithful are being trained within the mist. Because within the mist is when the faithful will quieten down, calm the emotions, step back and hear the still small voice to be able to navigate through. This is the time in which we live. But before these evil powers are destroyed, there's going to break forth a final desperate effort to frustrate the purposes of Yahuwah. And it is a break forth effort, and you're going to see it this year. It is an effort to destroy. Mass destruction is coming. Mass destruction is coming. It is the final break forth that must come. Because we are next going to see a door is opened. Now, of course, Darby wants you to believe it's the rapture door. Margaret MacDonald wants you to believe it's the rapture door. You'll end up like those nine men. But there is another door. Is it the door of the kingdom? Chapter 3, verse 8? No. Was it, is it the door of the heart? Chapter 3, verse 20? No. So what kind of door? Is it the rapture door? Well, certainly not. You see, part of the gasoline that is then poured on the rapture doctrine and just then fans the flames of this misinterpretation is their theory of what the door is. The door of the kingdom that touches the door of my heart. Right? How many of you? Well, in my heart, I know that the Lord would never put me through that. Really? Well, you must be super special because last time I read the Bible, 
That's what he does. Puts the ones he loves in adversity so that they can do what? Confront, embrace, and exchange adversity. Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, the list goes on for a praise worth and meritous victory which will go down the corridors of time immemorial. Amazing. This is what awaits us. You see, their rapture theory, their open door escape theory, if you will, is inconsistent with biblical history. Yahuwah does, in fact. I know this troubles us. But I've embraced it. Yahuwah goes to great lengths to put me through trials. And it's not all about me. It's all about you and me as the faithful together. Yahuwah goes to great lengths to position his people in adversity and in affliction. And I love you. And I'm not being a wimp and all soppy because I'm not an emotional guy. But I love when I meet true saints and I recognize the adversity and the trials because that is what it's all about. Not this fake stuff. The ones that are the saints are the ones that confront the adversity. We don't flee from it. We press in together whether it's in your family, whether it's confronting the world, it stalks and seeks us because Yahweh goes to great lengths to position you so that adversity walks across your path or you walk across his path. Whether it's Egypt, whether it's Assyria, whether it's Babylon or here in the exile in mystery Babylon, he has placed you and I in the path of adversity. And now is our time to confront it. And I am not preaching at you. I am working deep within my inner man to understand the days and the times that we live in through the Bible. And I pray that my life will help your life as your lives have helped my life. Now, what we will see in Israel's greatest trial in Israel's greatest trial that we're seeing in the Revelation Apocalypse, specifically in the 12th chapter, why on earth would Yahuwah all of a sudden contradict the whole of biblical history? Why would he contradict the whole of his character of molding his people right when they need to be molded the most and open the door and off you go in your rapture theory doctrine? It makes no sense. It's not going to happen. Tribulation has been prophesied. Adversity and affliction is a coming. And now is the time to ready and steady yourself and prepare to be energized supernaturally and exchange it for kingdom glory to be prepared. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 30. It is written. When thou art in tribulation... It's, it's a promise, an assurity. And all these things are come upon thee. It does apply to the last days, it says right here. If thou turn to Yahweh, you embrace him, 
you'll hear his voice. Nobody else is going to hear it. They are going to be lost in the fog. And the fog is the wickedness and the ensuing violence that's coming. That's going to have everyone. Now is our time as the faithful. Now is our time. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 33. A man, of course, who embraced adversity. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me he might have shalom. And in the world you will always have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Who's the overcomers? You see, the purpose of Egypt, the purpose of Assyria, the purpose of Babylon, the purpose of mystery Babylon, the purpose of us living out here in the exile, in the days and ages that we live, is to overcome and bear the testimony of Yahushua and keep his word, his commandments. The door, my brethren, is the door of revelation. The revelation of what is to come. It's the heavenly vision that Yahweh is opening for us today. You see, the substance of the visions is what is so important. Not the heaven or earth geolocation. That, of course, that aspect of it is what the the church has just got stuck on. They've just got stuck on that. In fact, this period isn't even about a church. This whole period that we're seeing in the apocalypse, it's about all 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7, it is written, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. He who what? Confronts it, embraces it, and exchanges it. And of course, we know that Jacob did that. His first confrontation of trouble was with his brother, and his second confrontation was with the bloodied tunic, of course, which was great, his blessed son, Joseph. And he was able to confront, embrace, and later there was an exchange of garments that brought about the power of transformation in his life. And that's what we see through the parables. Let's look at the second verse of Revelation chapter 4. And immediately I was in the Ruach. And then when you do this, you will be in the Ruach. And see, a throne was set in the heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there looked like jasper and a ruby stone. And there was a rainbow around the throne in sight like an emerald. Now, a hundred years ago, rainbows meant a lot different than what they do today, right? They would never even have thunk that the rainbow would be connected with the things that it is connected with today. But notice, 
as we go through the revelation here, that every single trace of anthropomorphism is gone. We're not talking about arms, legs, faces. Now we are seeing gems instead of limbs, aren't we? We're not going to be seeing limbs. We're going to be seeing gems. Anthropomorphism, it ceases, and now we're getting into gemology. Gemology. And if you're a gemologist, you don't focus on the fake. You focus on the authentic gem. And then when the fake comes along, you can spot it. So we're going to spend time on what's authentic, not too much time on John Nelson Darby. And of course, now we're going to see the third, the sixth, and the fourth gems in the foundation stones of the holy city. We're looking at holiness, judgment, and mercy. That's what these stones represent. And really, we do have to embrace the rainbow. But the most important thing is understanding which rainbow throne are you going to align yourself with. Because there's two. There's always two. Just as there was Yahushua ben Barabbas, right? Yahushua, son of Abbas. There was Yahushua ben Yosef. Which one are you going to embrace? There's always a choice between the true and then the counterfeit. And likely here, the language that we need to understand when it comes to the rainbow is, are you going to embrace the throne of Yahuwah, where the rainbow is, or will you embrace the throne of the world, where the rainbow is? That is the decision. And therefore, where do you align yourself? And as we see, and all around the throne were 24 seats, and upon the seats I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So we see right here the 24 elders are the officiating malachim angels that are ministering to the 12 tribes scattered aboard. They're kind of like sort of the heavenly counterpart, if you will, of the elders of Israel that you would have seen back at the book of the covenant mountain. And later, you'll see, of course, the later witnesses at the new covenant inauguration to the scattered 12 tribes remnant abroad, James chapter 1. At here, we see the end time apocalyptic gathering of those officiating angels and they have a fourfold job and this is their job in how it applies to our lives they're here they are amongst us they are here in ruach in spirit to do four things for you to reveal you to you to guide you to protect you and to shepherd you but you have to be able to embrace it, confront the adversary and the adversity to be able to get the ministering angels to reveal, guide, protect, and shepherd because that's what they're going to do to all 12 tribal remnant 
brothers and sisters during this period. They are supernatural and they will, they will intercede in your life. They are here supernaturally for you right now. They're a body of angels that will execute Yahuwah's divine rule in your life. And you see them, if you will, like in the white garb and clothing that you would have seen in Psalm 89 within the divine council, where Yahuwah sends out his ministering Elohim amongst the men, the saints. So they worship Yahuwah because he's about to bring history to its goal. And that's the time that we live in. Yahuwah is bringing history to its goal, which of course is to judge the dead and then to reward. It's twofold. And who's he going to reward? You, his servants, the prophets and the saints. You see that in chapter 11, verse 16. So now it builds in this fourth chapter because we live in a period of intensified political conflict. We live in a period of intensified political conflict and it's for a purpose. Specifically, the world thinks that they're manufacturing it, that it's all them. But no, Yahweh is allowing it for a purpose. It's the consummation of all things. It's a religious, political, economic counterfeit that Yahweh is allowing the mist to form. In 2020, he's allowing the mist to form because it is going to cause great deception. And that great deception is what allows the saints to hear his still small voice whilst everybody else is being thrown off that you can navigate through it. It's a smokescreen supernaturally provided for the saints and their escape. We are living in that period of intensified political conflict. Realize the course of history isn't determined by political power. That's what the world wants you to think. The course of history is, of course, determined by Yahweh. And we will see that Yahweh is enthroned and he is extremely active today. Extremely active in his enthronement. Heaven isn't pictured as a church. Heaven isn't pictured as a synagogue. Heaven is pictured as a throne room of a great and magnificent king that is active in his kingdom. He is active. But he is active where many of us are afraid to go. And there's why you're not hearing the still small voice. Active in the adversity. That's where the action is. That's where the action is. 
Yahuwah is portrayed right in this piece of scripture as the brilliance of light that is just reflected and refracted from these precious stones. It's as if Psalm 104 were just jumping off the pages. Thou art clothed in honor and majesty who coverest thyself with light as if it were a garment that is stretched out. It's beautiful beautiful poetry. You see, this entire vision is about Israel during the time known as the day of Yahuwah and showing that all redeemed men in heaven are those who are Israel, meaning overcomers with El. That's what he's called us to. Be those overcomers with El. The elders are not the redeemed. Look at verse 5. And out of the throne came lightning and thundering and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are, of course, the seven Ruachim, spirits of Yahuwah. And verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, And in the midst of the throne and all around the throne were four creatures full of eyes before and behind. So this is like unto me, I think. This is like the Malkitzedic Book of the Covenant. And of course, everybody said, oh, you see that everywhere. But look, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a very peculiar and weird people. The language is absolutely dripping here, if you will. If you can't see, and and, and some people can't, and it saddens me, but if you can't see the freedom, the liberty, and the power, and the importance of the Malkitzedic priesthood in this time period of tribulation and escape, I don't know what to tell you. It saddens me that so many people are stuck in messianic religion, Zionist religion, Christian religion, instead of embracing the priesthood of Yahusha, which is what the whole new covenant is about. The whole book of Hebrews the new covenant because of the new priesthood. You see, it's almost like a mirage, if you will, Revelation chapter 4, these specific verses of the apocalyptic proportions, again, that we saw in the Exodus. After they had come through that apocalypse, they landed at the mountain of Exodus 24. And this is what is being presented for us here. Think of the sea of glass, right? The sea of glass signifies the distance that separates Yahuwah and his holiness from the fallen evil world. Now, I really want you to focus and comprehend what I'm about to say for the next couple of minutes because it's really, really important. So we're a few minutes into the teaching, but don't switch off now. And if you like the teaching thus far, give us some thumbs up along the way. You in the chat especially, it really does make a difference. We're looking at the sea of glass. 
Now, we're going to see that this contrast between Yahweh's holiness, what separates his holiness, the sea of glass, from the wickedness, fallen and evil world is going to become more apparent in the days in which we live. So now, look at this next section. It's really going to be supernaturally powerful if we can apprehend, comprehend, and walk it out in our life. So bear with me and focus. The contrast is become more apparent to me as the days are drawing nigh between the clarity of the divine world, if you will, and the murkiness that I see in the fallen world. And I feel like I'm between two worlds in my faith because I have an extremely secular job and then I have an extremely supernatural calling. So I find myself in between two worlds. And that's where Yahuwah meets me because in between these two worlds is often adversity. But I find myself through the presence of Yahuwah in prayer, study, and the supernatural realm confronted with the sea of glass. That which distances me from the world even though I am in the world, and that which draws me nigh unto Yahuwah's holiness. And this is the transparency that I want to present to you from my life in the hopes that it will help you in your life. So bear with me, because there is a clarity for me between the divine world and then the murkiness of the fallen world where the unredeemed man has no vision. I see this. The unredeemed man in the murky world has no vision to navigate the murky midst of the upcoming apocalypse. I'm a poet and I didn't know. But you know what I mean. I hope you do. You see, you and I begin to see with transparency the more we're in the word and the more we're in prayer and fasting. Whereas the unredeemed are becoming ever more blurred. Their vision is becoming blurred as our vision is becoming more clear. Their vision is becoming more blurred by the encroaching evils. And they, as the unredeemed and the worldly, are unable to navigate the times and extract themselves from the world, which is a quicksand that is dragging them down. Just like the nine men that we saw at the beginning of the teaching today. Today we live in a world where people, they need safe spaces. They need preferred pronouns. They need jazz hands. You can't even clap. Because you know why? That's discriminatory to the, to, to the deaf. So instead of clapping at concerts, now you do jazz hands. You think I'm joking. I just went to a concert last week, a piano concert. Jazz hands. Because this is discriminatory to the deaf. Well, hang on a minute. This is discriminatory to the blind. Right? I mean, but you know, now it's, oh, jazz hands. Seriously. Safe spaces, preferred pronouns, jazz hands. I mean... What a, I mean, this is the world that we live in. 
sinking in the miry clay, unable to navigate and see the contradictions abounding. And people expect, as they're sinking in the clay, that you'll react to the fear that they project. But really, fear, it's not of the faithful. We see an opportunity of the fear that they're trying to project on us because we don't act like the world. We react to a whole different voice, and that's what troubles the world. You are a peculiar people. It doesn't work on you. Why don't you react that way? Because you are a peculiar people that Yahuwah has wired and purchased for a particular purpose of the apocalypse. The sea belongs to the old fallen order, order, the sea that we see. And it represents, just like the Red Sea, the barrier, that which the unredeemed cannot pass, but yet the redeemed will pass through. You see, the unredeemed cannot pass through the sea, can they? The chariots, Pharaoh, they couldn't pass through it. But the redeemed are able to pass through the chaos. They are able to pass through the barrier, that which separates them from the murkiness of the fallen order into the kingdom precepts and principles of Yahuwah. Matthew chapter 26 and the 33rd verse, we come to Peter confronting this chaos. Peter confronting the chaos, failing as the chaos ensued and encircled all around him. But then later, Yahuwah, with his great mercy, presenting him another opportunity Another opportunity to do what? To confront, to embrace, and to exchange. Let's look at Peter, Matthew chapter 26 and the 33rd verse. Peter had to pass through the chaos. Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended saith he. He was confident, wasn't he? Just like these nine men that we saw at the beginning of the account today. But then we find in the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew, in the 29th verse, and he said, come. And when Peter came down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Yahusha. He wasn't able to quite endure enough, was he? He backed out as it started to get more adverse, more frightening, more of that ensuing murkiness. And verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Look at the history of this man, of confronting and pulling back. Is he going to overcome? Here's the opportunity. Here's the adversity and failure. And then going again 
is an opportunity and then failure. He couldn't walk upon the seas once the great tribulation of his moment came. Look. But when he saw the wind that became boisterous, fear is what gripped him. You see, those nine men that we started with, they never ever dealt with their fear about money. They never dealt with it, even though they had bundles of it. They never dealt with the fear in their soul. And that's what Yahuwah needs us to do today. He needs us to confront it and exchange it and be liberated from it and then use the power of other people's projected fear that does oftentimes bring adversity for a transformative power of the kingdom in your life. These days are getting more and more perilous and the sea of glass like crystal is our time, our time of testing to see to see if we can endure and pass through. Will you and I be able to pass through as if on dry land? Because Yahushua saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me just, just one hour? You see, for us to pass through the chaos, we need to be able to watch. Which was why I specifically specifically did the teaching last week it wasn't a trigger that many misinterpreted it was for this time of sobriety and watchfulness before we get into what Yahuwah has to reveal to us in these next next chapters Yahuwah has an unfinished agenda and I want to present to you what has been revealed to me through his word of what that agenda is. The historical chaos, like unto persecution and martyrdom, through which you and I have to pass. And we have to emerge victorious. But we are going to have to pass through it. That's what the sea of glass represents mark chapter 16 and the fifth verse it is written and entering into the sepulcher they saw a young man i'm going to mention a few things call them out here just four the young man the long white garment be not affrighted and of course peter and entering into the sepulcher they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Yahushua of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples, make special mention here. Why does he make special mention? Of Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. There are huge parallels here. 
Peter, the seas of chaos, the seas of trial, Peter's overconfidence, just like these nine men, and then his epic failures. The unbeliever, Judas, committing suicide, these men's suicide, begging for death, and finding it not. Yet some of them here, they did find it, did they not, at their own hand. But then we see Peter enduring and the young angel seeking the very welfare of Peter. Because here, the 24 angel elders are in fact in the apocalypse seeking your and mine very welfare because they want you to be able to cross over the seas of glass over the historical chaos that is about to take place. Look at the seventh verse. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature was like unto a calf. And the third creature had a face as a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four creatures each had six wings, and around him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Kadosh, holy, Kadosh, holy, Kadosh, Yahuwah, El Shaddai, who was and who is and who is to come. So the living creatures are anagalus here to the seraphim and the cherubim, the cherubim of Isaiah chapter 6, and of course Ezekiel in the 10th chapter. We're talking right here about the apocalyptic vision, and we are now looking at the fullness of the eyes which means there's ceaseless vigilance. Are we those people that have got the fullness of eyes and the ceaseless vigilance? That's why I did that teaching last week. Not to pick on anybody, but the soberness and the ceaseless vigilance is what we need today. Not a stumbling and a bumbling and a sleepy mind that is going left, right, and all over the place. Paranoia and frenzy is not of the faithful. We're talking about ceaseless vigilance, sobriety, and, of course, unlimited intelligence. The wings are all about the swiftness of movement. We've got to be able to move quickly when the time comes. Angelic beings who are used in executing Yahuwah's divine rule and his divine will in every aspect of your life. These are created spirits that are conduits of divine power and energy that is looking to flow to you. If you will only accept it, embrace it, and exchange your fear for it. Now, the corrupt world is enamored with the counterfeit, which is artificial intelligence and all of the things that they're developing. But this right here is divine. There is nothing artificial about their intelligence. 
but the world is developing artificial intelligence to counterfeit us because Yahweh is bringing about his angelic intelligence and therefore Satan has to develop a counter to it because it's coming. The four living creatures are the four places. Now we're going to look at the four places where Yahuwah's providence is carried out during the Great Tribulation. And we'll take a break from our south of the border, Topa Chico sponsor today. This is a sea of glass that I can handle today. We are looking now at the four living creatures and the four specific places where Yahweh's providence is carried out in your and mine life in this next year. Who wants to be in Yahuwah's providence? I do. Every moment, every day. I need that. I desire that. I must have Yahuwah's providence in my life. Otherwise, my life is not worth living. It is not worth living unless I am surrounded by his providence. I want to see his providence in your eyes. In your eyes. I want to hear his providence in my prayers, in your prayers. I demand that we press into providence the four places. Number one, some of you are going to find his providence in the wild places. The wild places. That is represented by the lion. Some of you are going to find his providence in the cultivated spots. That's represented by the ox. Some of you may decide to be living off-grid and cultivating the earth and preparing right now for these apocalyptic times. In those cultivated spots, I pray you find his providence. Because he's preparing as you are preparing to meet you in the cultivated places. That's what the ox represents. But then there is the man, the people. Some of you, I fear, some of you are going to find his providence amongst men. In fenced up places. In FEMA camps in cities and towns in which you neglected to leave. But you will find his providence in the most dire of circumstances amongst men. And oftentimes those men will be seeking your very destruction. The fourth place that we can find his providence, the eagle is within the air. Some of you, the blessed amongst you, will be whisked away in the air, transported like Jean-Luc Picard, 
or I should say Elijah the prophet, or Philip the saint, literally picked up and transported out of adversity and trial and tribulation because you have chosen to accept the adversity, trial, and tribulation. And the eagle represents your transportation whisking away. It's not a secret rapture. It's a transportation from one place to a next through the checkpoint, through the borders. Your life may be in jeopardy and you will be taken away in a moment imminently from danger and you should not see death. Elijah, remember Elijah, he would appear in some city and he would be a great witness unto Yahuwah and then there would be a whole bunch of trouble that would ensue. People would come out and he would have worn out his welcome and they would have sought his very destruction and then what would happen just when he thought the end was nigh and death was at his very door, Yahweh would embrace him and transport him just like an eagle right out of there from one location to another just as Philip was identically transported bodily through the air from a very spot in Jerusalem to the Gaza, which is why Elon Musk is developing the counterfeit technology. We can't have the faithful saints being transported out of tra trouble and affliction and not give an answer that the secular world can believe. They have got to develop the counterfeit so that nobody looks at the gems of the Bible. Of course, this is why this is all expediently happening today. Because Yahweh is on the throne and he is busy working in our lives. Because Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh is Yahweh El Shaddai who was and is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is Yahuwah El Shaddai, who was, who is, and is to come. Of course, this comes from the foundation stone of Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, where it is written, And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you, an oat in the Hebrew, that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of the world, you shall serve Elohim in a throned environment on a mountain. You see, the sign of us following the one true Elohim is leaving this sick and twisted world behind and keeping his commandments and embracing the adversity because we have a friend that is closer than a brother. We have the Savior, and he is with his people. This is the signature of Yahuwah, the signature of Yahuwah in your life, in my life. In John chapter 8, verse 58, we'll finish up here. So those of you in the chat, prepare your questions and try and keep it on track, okay? so that we can be in the same, same 
groove of the word. John chapter 8, verse 58, it is written, Yahushua said unto them, Amen, they, Amen. I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I always used to wonder what that meant back in the Calvary days. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Yahushua hid himself. And he went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so went away. So, right here, Yahushua actually signed his name. Better, he autographed right before them. It was the name of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. That's why they took up the stones. They took up the stones from the old altar, from the time of the Maccabees, actually, to stone him. He just gave the very autograph of Yahuwah, the autograph of his name. Is Yahuwah's name really I am? That's what they used to tell me at Calvary Chapel. Well, his name is I am. I don't think so. That makes no sense to me. It never did make much sense to me. I would just go, oh, okay. Since in the King Jimmy, it's going to be true. But in the Hebrew, it's Anochi. Or Ani, Ani, Anochi, or Ani. But if you go back to that text in the Hebrew, in Exodus chapter 3, it says, Eyer, Asher, Eyer. There's a few scriptures that are going to paint a clear picture for us. Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, and he said to him, I am Yahuwah that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 13, we see Yahuwah stood above it and said, I am Yahuwah Elohim of Abraham, your father. In Judges chapter 6, verse 10, we see, and I said to you, I am Yahuwah, your Elohim. Fear not the Elohim of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. These verses don't just say, I am, because in the Hebrew that would be Ani. They say, Ani Yahuwah, don't they? Ani Yahuwah, Ani Yahuwah, Ani Yahuwah. So with this understanding... How the text of Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 would actually read would be Eyah, Asher, Eyah. Meaning, he that was Yah is still Yah. And that's what you and I need to grasp today. It's not about this Bible faith of thousands of years ago. He that was Yahuwah then... He is Yahuwah today, in your life, in my life, powerfully acting and influencing us. That is what we must understand to be able to pass through the chaos. He that was Yah, he is still Yah. And the world wants to deceive you into thinking it's all back there because they have another plan and it is a plan to stay in Egypt. They are afraid 
of the chaos. But the chaos we must embrace and pass through it onto the other side. They should be afraid of your chaos and my chaos because it's a holy chaos that enables us to pass through from this world into the next. A deliverance by our faith in these days and time. In essence, Yahuwah is saying, this is by the very leading of Yah what is happening in your life. The one he is sending forth among you, the Aleph, Hey, Yod, Hey, is a plurality of magnificence, divinity. This is the autograph of Yahuwah on your life that you can be assured that you are going to be okay. Look at verse 9 of Revelation chapter 4. And when those creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and they worshipped him that lived forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Yahuwah, to receive tifereth, glory and honor and power for you have created all things and for your pleasure they are and were created and in this final closing act of the fourth chapter we find the act of casting down their crowns before the throne the elders then acknowledge that their authority in fact is a delegated authority. Chapter 4, in summation, is about Yahweh preparing the saints for adversity. It's time for us to confront it. It's time for us to embrace it. And it's time for us to exchange that adversity for a praiseworthy and meritous victory. Do a self-inventory of your life and test and see if those adversities in the past have brought you to a place of meritous victory. Because I know in my life, adversity has brought me to a place of meritous victory. And now, as more adversity approaches i am so excited to embrace it to confront it and to exchange it as i am assured that i will pass through the chaos because i am a child of the living elohim and if you're still watching you are too apart from the few of you that might give us some thumbs down. So with that, brethren, let's give us some thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel, and we'll see if we can take some questions on Revelation chapter 4. All right.
Okay, let's see here. Oh, let's have a little sip from our sponsor. All right. Shabbat Shalom, brethren. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. This question is from Quinton Fester. Shabbat Shalom, Quinton. Matthew, one more. Matthew, one more for me. Egypt's plagues and today's coronavirus and all other plagues in this world. Can you elaborate, please? God bless. Well, I, I would like to elaborate a lot, but for time, I, I just can't do too much. But those of you that are aware what's going on, of course, in China, this is manufactured. This is, of course, we know that there's some serious political um, adversity and there are adversaries, I should say, of course, with the communist Chinese, whether it's the trade, everything that's going on with our president right now and the trade wars with China and all of the communists that have infiltrated, of course, this country. So why is this targeted, targeted virus in China? Well, I, I believe that it's been manufactured. I believe that it is an operation to get the Chinese to settle down, if you will, showing, of course, a demonstration of the United States power. Now, does that mean that there isn't going to be serious harm and affliction? And could this be something that is going to grow to biblical proportions for sure and for certain? But if you look at the origins of this, this is germ warfare. And we live in a time where men are doing wicked, wicked things. And they are using these viruses, contagions, to exercise and demonstrate political power. We are seeing now, of course, assassinations and various encroachments on foreign powers as the nations begin to plot in vain destruction. It is, in fact, their own destruction. Let's have a look and see if we can grab another question here. This question, Shabbat Shalom, Modesto, Gaza. He says thus, Can the sea of glass be Abraham's promise of a people more numerous than grains of the sand that have been refined by fire, which produces glass and crystal? Now, Modesto has been following us for some time. And this is just great. I love to see people looking at the scriptures in a deep and meaningful way. And I think that this is an absolutely great interpretation and so valid. It's just a different approach at looking at it, but so true. I like it. I think that is great. Great job there. Great just looking and seeing. You see, the scripture is alive. And if we're, if we're looking, we can see so many different things. And I just love how people do that. So... Um, this is a very important question. This is what the ministry is all about. 
This one is from Amy Groff. How can we be saved? How can we be saved? It is by hearing the still, small voice of Yahushua who does knock on the door of your heart and embracing him and accepting his death, burial, and crucifixion as payment for your sin. And then by appropriating his blood in your life, you will be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And he is knocking upon the heart, the door of your heart. If you're asking that question, there is only one Savior. He sits on the right hand of the throne of Yahuwah. He was crucified, and after three days, he rose from the dead, and he is alive in me, and he is alive in so many of you that are tuned in watching today. And the world cannot comprehend that supernatural power that has formed the very backbone of the Western culture that we so enjoy that the world tries to deny. But our language, our, our, our literature, our science, it all comes from the master craftsman and all of our wonderful, wonderful things in this life. They all came from the creator, Yahuwah. And of course, man, just like he was in Babylon, just like he was in Babel, is trying to build that tower to try and encroach upon the king of kings. And he will not tolerate that. Today, if you hear his voice as you are calling out, is the day of salvation, as it says in the book of Hebrews. There is no other name under heaven of which man can be saved, but the son of Yahuwah, Yahushua, the crucified and risen Messiah, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. That happened to me when I was 24 years old, and I have never been the same, and praise Yah for that. All right, here we go. This one, I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to pronounce this name perfectly. This is from Kujam Rasselgefi. Rasselgefi. The person is most probably, you just massacred my name. Well then, choose an easier name. Crying out loud. Paul sowed seeds of confusion and dissension, although I like some of the materials. But should women be permitted to speak or teach men according to Paul? In fact, I do not think that Paul sowed sold any confusion. I think, as Peter says, um, that any confusion about Paul's writings is because they are sometimes hard to understand and men who is untaught twist the scriptures to their own destruction. So I think when there is a confusion in Paul's writing, the problem is with our understanding and that I need to change, not try and change Paul. So I think that Paul is super anointed. And I believe there was a specific mouthy woman in the congregation that needed to shut the Henry up. She kept on calling out and there was a particular problem with the woman. In fact, I think back in maybe the seventh edition Torah or sixth edition Torah portions, I may have addressed that in the Bereshit um, series. Bereshit, 
sixth edition, I think I spoke about um, women, and I believe that women should have a voice and should be able to teach and talk in the congregation, but just not that specific woman that was causing all that problem in Corinth. She needed to shut the hell up. All right, so here we go. Take that. All right, here we go. This is a question from Stacy R. This is for me, and Charlotte mentioned it too. Can you share your best description of fasting and how we can apply this successfully with sickness and other differences amongst us? Yes, definitely. It's a great question. Uh, I believe that biblical fasting is an abstinence from all liquid and all food with the application of prayer. Now, of course... If you like coffee, you best get off the coffee for some time before you try this. And, you know, if you can get off any prescription medications before you try this, that you should. And um, it's been my custom, um, especially when my children were a lot younger and I was um, really, you know, I don't know, first time looking at this, I would go for a three-day fast, no food, no water, no, no liquids whatsoever. And, and that was something that would give me great clarity. And when you read um, the Torah, you see, of course, why did I do the three-day? Because I believe that we are going to go through a three-day fast, just as the children of Israel did when they came out of Egypt. And remember, that's when they got to the bitter waters of Merah and they start, oh, we've got to go back and have some garlic pizza because they couldn't handle it for just three days. If you can't handle fasting for three days without any food and water and you start wanting to eat your neighbor's leg, you've got a problem. You're a cannibal. And we can't have cannibals in the camp of Yahuwah. So that's the best application. Start with 24 hours and work up from there. But of course, you can't do it without prayer and supplication. But uh, yes. This question is from the Makadi clan, Shabbat Shalom Makadi clan. Where does it talk about leaving the cities in Scripture? Matthew mentions it, but I don't understand his position. So I think what we see, I see throughout the, 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 the Scripture that in the cities, whether it's Egypt, whether it's Babylon, whether it is, of course, that bloody city of Jerusalem, that there comes a time when Yahweh calls us out from the midst of them and prepares a place of safety for his people in the wilderness, whether that's back in the Torah or in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, I was talking to a, a friend of mine just the other day, uh, dealing with and looking at all of the homelessness that we see all around. And um, here in Salem, Oregon, the capital of Oregon, we've got a homeless crisis. In fact, this crisis is a West Coast problem. Why? Because the other governments and the others in the other states, of course, are exporting the homeless and shipping them out to us for a controlled collapse. Because what I believe is what you're seeing, we had service master employed by the city of Salem 
to a tune of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars, cleaning up just a block, taking all of this, um, you know, infrastructure and money um, to clean up after the homeless. Within a week, I was stepping over feces on the street again. It didn't work, and then they'd do it again. I had Service Master come out to try and clean a couch of mine. They wanted to charge me $1,800 to clean a couch. That was one person, one small van. Can you imagine how much it would cost for 10 vans and 30 people? Well, that's what our city spent. Not once, but twice, it didn't work. So who's really good at coming in in these crisis situations and actually taking care of it? Because the cities can't take care of it, obviously, and Service Master can't. I tell you who can take care of it, and that's why they're doing it, FEMA. FEMA are experts and actually very good at going into crisis situations after a hurricane, after a storm, and taking that situation and bringing in organization and structure. So they are doing this deliberately to bring in the FEMA camps. The first people to go to the FEMA camps will be the homeless. And then, of course, as the secular people don't take care of the elderly, they will stop paying when the financial crisis happens for their elderly parents, and they will then be kicked out, and they'll end up going to the FEMA camps too. And then those petty criminals, instead of the jails that can't house them, they'll be going to the FEMA camps. There'll be movies, vaccinations, there'll be ready hot meals, there'll be beds, there'll be blankets, and the noodles will embrace it, and they'll see it as a good thing. So be prepared for those FEMA camps coming to a city near you very soon. The homeless blow-up population is just front-loading for this to happen. That's my opinion, and you can take that and put it in your pipe and smoke it. Um, let's see. I'll have another sip from one of our sponsors here. This question is from my potato munchkin. Well, I hope you can share some of those potato munchkins with me. I wouldn't mind some chips right about now, but that's not really going to work with my fasting, cleansing, and dieting, is it? Have you read the protocols of the meetings of the learned elders of Zion? Yes. And the next question, you know why I didn't go on too far with that one. And if you don't, then you need to figure out why. Okay, this is still bloody YouTube, right? And you know that they are analyzing every single word that is said. So check us out on BitChute, right? We are going over to BitChute because these bohemians are not going to tolerate this channel for too much longer. So your donations, your subscriptions, and your thumbs up do make a difference because Google is a parasite. And of course, you can track that word and stick that in your analytics as far as I'm bloody well concerned. So we may have just expediated our traverse over to BitChute. 
All right, final question, you silly Englishman. I'm not as silly as that other Englishman, Darby, though, am I, for crying out loud? You won't get one CD, one cassette tape of me endorsing the pre-tribulation rapture. That I am sure of. This is from Mama Bear. All right, Mama Bear. In summary, what does MN believe the greater exodus... <laughs> Loaded blooming question. Of course, they're always sleepers, these mama bears, right? They come up with these, these cozy names, right? Their emails. I'm talking about my wife here and this particular... I'm not going to give your email address out. Don't worry. Well, she's all paranoid. I'm gonna... This mama bear and my wife, who likes to be called... Mama Bear, or maybe we just call her Mama Bear. I'm not quite sure where that came from. They're sleepers, right? They all come across as cute and cuddly, but really, they're loading you up right here. Look at this one. In summary, what does MN believe? Meaning like, watch out. Now I'm going to tell you what I believe, and you guys are going to love me and hate me and hate to love me. Um, about the greater exodus, what is it going to look like? I'm so, so confused about this, most probably because you've been listening to Monty Judah for all these blooming years, and you think you're going to go to some state park in Oklahoma, and the cloud of glory is going to hide you from the freeway traffic. It's not going to happen. Okay, so what is the greater exodus going to look like? Don't ask me. Let's ask the prophet Jeremiah. First things first, Yahweh is going to send out a bunch of fishermen. I'm a fisherman. I am fishing for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I am doing that by casting the net of Torah, five books right out there to the nations. And I'm hoping that it's going to come back full of you, full of you, because now is the time to listen to the fishermen. But if you don't, he's going to send the Mohammedans out to get you. They're going to start, of course, in that sick country called Saudi Arabia, and they're going to migrate westward into the cities, those European cesspits and cesspools, of course, of one of which I escaped, the city of London. Well, at least they Brexited finally, right? I'm going to wear my Union Jack underpants in celebration tonight. But... Brexit and all, the Mohammedans will chase you down with the broad sword and slaughter you, and you'll end up with your underpants in a whole twist. We call that your knickers in a twist. So the greater exodus really means pay attention to the fishermen, because if you don't, the hunters will come out. Those people that have been so misguided by John Nelson Darby and the pre-tribulation rapture, they're going to be confronted by the sword of Islam in the cities, in the towns, and they will be beheaded. In the meantime, we have an opportunity right now to embrace all that is happening, to confront our fears as this teaching is all about, and to pass through the nations, pass through the sea of glass into glory, and Yahweh is going to lead his people, Revelation 12, to a place of safety of which he is preparing, of which I pray that through the power and anointing of Yahweh that we will be able to declare to you as this Revelation series unfolds. For me, this is the most serious undertaking of my life 
one of which I have been prepared for my whole life, even when I didn't know it. And he has been doing that for you too. So thank you, all of you, that stay tuned, that do support this ministry. Even if you would just, just donate 5 or $10 a month, that would make the world of difference. That's just a cup of that filthy Starbucks pagan sun god coffee that some of you are still drinking. Why don't you give it up and tithe to Yahweh through Torah to the tribes and get into some Nest Cafe. It's super cheap and you'll be fine. I'm messing with you, but not really. Bless you and Shabbat Shalom to all of you. Keep the comments going and we'll see you live next Shabbat.